The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, I have been wanting to get our next guest on the show for a while now. It's Jason Tetro, who, you know, he's, well, he's a microbiologist. He's the author of The Germ Files and host of the super awesome science show, award-winning super awesome <laughs> science show, I might add. Hey, Jason. Hello. Oh, my goodness. It's about time. I'm so happy to be here. I just could pick your brain about so many things. First off, for, for you know, the folks who've not heard you on this show before, because mm-hmm. I know you've been on with uh, Jespo in the morning a few times. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe they've listened to the super awesome science show podcasting where you get a podcast. You can <laughs> uh, find it there. But... How does one become a microbiologist? Uh, One almost dies when they're a child and wonders, why the heck did I almost die, mommy? And she goes, well, there are these invisible things called germs. And as a result of that, I wanted to learn more about them. So that's how I I became a I was not expecting that answer whatsoever (laughs) at all. Yeah, that's, that's essentially how I became interested in microbiology and went from there. Uh, as I grew older, I was looking not just at myself, but at others. Yeah. One of the big ones for me was uh, HIV. Yep. So when I first started getting into this realm, uh, HIV was spreading all over the place. And uh, I, I went in as a 15-year-old thinking, you know, I'm going to cure HIV. Mm-hmm. I didn't, but I gained a huge, amazing career w- in the microbiology. And then I Along with that, I learned how to do immunology as well. Yeah, and you know, it's it's fascinating. Every time you pop in, we end up having a conversation about about something, and it can be anything from like HIV, uh, Ebola, um, to you know sore throats and <laughs> whatever. Like it, it expands, it spans so much, which I find interesting. I'd like to empty out your brain a little bit uh, sometime. <laughs> there are days I wish people wish would empty out my well. brain. <laughs> um, one of the one of the reasons why I wanted to get you into talk today. This was really, really interesting. It was news that came out uh, earlier. I saw it this morning or last night and it was saying that people robbed of the ability to talk due to a stroke or other medical condition may soon have real hope of regaining a voice thanks to technology that harnesses brain activity to produce synthesized speech. Uh-huh. Like how? I, I, I had... Huh? All right. Uh, let me, let's break it down a little. Okay. First off, you're familiar with lip reading, right? Yes. Okay. So we know what lip reading is like. We hear sounds, we can associate what those sounds are, right? So we got that. And we can verbalize what those sounds are when we hear them. That's great. If you take both of those, put them into a computer, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So we now you can use artificial intelligence to be able to mimic speech. Um, that's why you hear voices on, you know, when you make phone calls and stuff. Great. Where the missing link has been is what is our brain doing? And what these people have done in this study is they've taken what is known as a decoder. And so they've attached it to people's brains and got them to say various words, vowels, phonetics, etc., etc. And they've looked at the brain waves that occur to match with the lip reading and also the voice recognition. And so what ends up happening is that you get something that sounds very similar to someone who happens to be deaf. And we'll get into that in a second. But before we do, I want you to listen to a few of the examples. Shipbuilding is a most fascinating process. Shipbuilding is a most fascinating process. Bright sunshine shimmers on the ocean. Bright sunshine shimmers on the ocean. Addition and subtraction are learned skills. Addition and subtraction are learned skills. 
Is this seesaw safe? All right. So one of them, obviously, is you can completely understand. The other one has yeah. like a, a leg on it or something. Right. And where that's coming into play is the fact that the brain is still moving faster than our ability to move. And so if you only focus on the brain, you're going to slur your S's. If you're only going to f- focus on the brain, your uh, P's may sound like T's, which we don't really want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when we're talking about ship uh, building. But anyways, um, uh, or disturbing in that case. Yeah. But anyways, um, so what, hap- what has to happen now is in order for it to sound more human, if you will, or not necessarily more human, but more accurate, is the ability to identify that beginning part that tells the the muscles in the mouth that they have to work a certain way before we even start to speak and that's going to be coming so very shortly we're going to be able to have people think something and you'll be able to understand them perfectly how amazing is that that that's just incredible Are, have we uh, gotten anywhere close to harnessing what our brain does oh good no <laughs> and and the reason is that I mean think about it you when we look at a wire just a good old fashioned wire it has so much power to be able to do so many things now imagine billions of those mm-hmm. connections happening in one small 3 pound gushy thing that yeah. happens to be our brain it's going to be almost impossible to be able to uh, harness everything that's there more importantly we're almost We're never going to get to a point where we can develop artificial intelligence that can match the brain. Now, we're getting closer and closer to be able to giving them consciousness. But in order for that to happen, we're going to have to start moving away from necessarily the neuroscience and start looking at things like quantum physics. Oh, quantum physics. You had mentioned this earlier. said, hey, you want to talk about quantum mechanics and consciousness today? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) if you dumb it right down and how that applies to all of this. Yeah, everything in the world vibrates, right? Yes, well, our brains vibrate as well. And so what we're trying to see right now is how do those vibrations that occur in our brain work at this quantum level? So we're smaller than atoms. Yes. And if so, is there a way that we can develop essentially tuning forks? Huh. So you know how a tuning fork hums when yes. you, and then you bring it up to a piano string and the piano string is also going to hum? Well, imagine if you could do that in the brain so that in one area it starts to vibrate a certain way and that creates another part of your brain to vibrate the exact same way. All of a sudden, you have more than just a single wire. You have all the wires working together and that potentially is what our consciousness is made of and more importantly how we do things like remember because quite honestly i still don't know why whenever i talk about calculus the final (laughs) countdown from europe plays in my head and if i ever am able to figure that out whether it be through neuroscience or quantum mechanics i I will be so happy were you studying with that in the background you got it when i was doing Yeah. yeah in university and yes i was in university during europe's reign yeah um I would use their album as a way of being able to study uh, calculus 
And so I had that in the background, and then I used the music for a memory recall to be able to answer the questions in the test. What? Let's let's expand on that a little a little bit more. I know that there's um, there's all sorts of people out there that study different ways and they learn things different ways. I was very mm-hmm. much a, a learner by doer. I had to learn. I, I I learned how to do things by doing it. So when I first went into television, for example, I, I wasn't sitting in a class learning about the theory of news. I was right. actually out putting together a newscast and then delivering a newscast. So again, that's <laughs> that's different. You know, that's that's college, that sort of thing. There are some people out there who very much like to learn with music in the background. It might be Europe, the final countdown for, you know, it could be, it could be Beethoven, it could be whatever. And yeah. others who um, like complete si- uh, silence. Is there, is there a reason for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, <laughs> there you is. Have a, you have an answer and, for everything. Oh, no, what, but, but honestly, what it comes down to is um, the amount of activity that's occurring in the brain, all right? When we start talking about focusing, what we're trying to do is we're trying to turn out all the other sort of distracting things that are happening. Now, the best way to describe that is meditation, mindfulness, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why it works so well against anxiety is because anxiety is all about all these things coming at you from completely different directions. So if you can tune all of that out, then you can focus. Now, some people can harmonize with music to remove all those outside things. I'm one of those people, mm-hmm. so I need that music. And even when you listen to my podcast, you'll notice that my music beds, what's underneath the words, are really there to help you remember those words. Interesting. But for others, the music is distracting. And this actually happens with some people I know who are professional musicians, because for them, the music is work. Yes. So they need that absolute quiet in order for them to stay focused. So it really comes down to how you interpret your environment and your surroundings and what kind of waves are going on in your head while all of this is happening. How is it, uh, when you're talking about um, remembering things, and maybe it's me- remembering and, and memorization, for instance, in college, I had to take a, a music class. And one of my assignments, it was my final exam, we all, everyone in the classroom had to know a piece of classical music from top to tail. Mine was 42 minutes long. Wow. It was Beethoven's uh, Emperor uh, Piano Concerto, okay. which I, to this yeah. day I still, it's one of my favorite pieces of music. And with the exam, you sat in a room with 100 people and the professor played a 15 second clip of your piece of music and you had to when you when it was yours you wrote it down and you took it up and mm-hmm. you took it up to him yeah I can remember that and I know that piece of music inside and out but I can't remember people I work with names you know that I see every day or I can't mm-hmm. remember where I've put something what is the difference and I guess maybe I, I don't know I'm not going to guess what is the difference between that why why can people remember where you were when you heard something or did something or whatever and then you can't remember basic basic things uh there's what we call vivid memories and what ends up happening and some people call them engrams and there's Mm -hmm. a number of different variations but what essentially is happening is that for some reason that moment whatever you saw whatever you heard somehow is imprinted into your brain and will always be able to come back all right in other cases our memories are are essentially just 
looking at something and saying, okay, well, that's cool. Uh, but if it's a process of habit or if it's something that is, uh, if there are other distractions that are going with it, you won't be able to maintain mm. that memory because it just wasn't strong enough to compete against everything else. One of the examples that uh, I, I like to see um, happens to be when we start asking different generations, where were you when? When, yeah. Right? So for the generation before me, it was when Kennedy was shot. With me, it was the Challenger disaster. With the one after us, it was uh, 9-11, mm -hmm. right? Well, those memories isn't a single moment where Kennedy was shot or a single moment when the Challenger blew up or a single moment when the towers came down. It was when you heard about it, that's the memory that you have. Hmm. And so that vividness takes away all the distractions and creates that one memory that you can always go back to. In your case, that music was all that you cared about. And so when you heard that 15 seconds, it was going to stay with you for yeah, life. Yeah. And... What's really interesting is that sometimes vivid memories occur with things that we never even thought about. Mm -hmm. and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're going through a process and some vivid memory of someone saying to you something that sounded funny at the time all of a sudden comes up and you're like, well, why, why, why? well it might have been because you were paying so close attention to that yeah. person, yeah. which is why, um, you know... <laughs> Eddie Murphy constantly comes up in my head <laughs> when it comes to Delirious, but yeah. I have no idea how to remember anything from Raw. Now, I'm not necessarily saying one was better than the other, but... One but was better than the other. I'm not saying that. Uh, yeah, that's funny that you say, because as soon as you mentioned that, um, people ask me when we get talking, you know, the hair and stuff like that, and... Um, they said, why don't you ever cut your hair all off? I said, because my, I remember vividly my mother telling me once, saying, Jay, you shouldn't wear your hair that short. It makes your head look like a peanut on an elephant's ass. And to this day, I know, take that for what it is, but I remember I was about 21, 22 years of age. And to this day, it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to wear my hair short ever again. That's a good point. Now, of course, today's version of that is going to be, my God, you look like Thanos. But, I mean... <laughs> Hey, come on. We, it, it's like in a day and a half. I'm going tomorrow. Who out there is going to go see Avengers Endgame in the first weekend? Come on. Everyone is. Apparently, everybody is. People are texting in about um, smell and remembering things. Oh, jeez. Is that a whole other conversation? Well, no. Well, I have a full podcast okay. on that. Well, you know what? Let's take a break right here. Okay. Let's touch on that when we come back. All right. Jason Tetro microbiologist, author of The Germ Files, and host of the award-winning Super Awesome Science Show podcast. Joining me. Yes. Hello. Uh, we were talking about memory, and someone texted, and someone says, can you mention this guy's name again? It's the Super Awesome Science Show. I am Jason, the germ guy Tetro, and I am here to... I don't know. Uh, let, let's come up with a really good word. <laughs> I was going to say rock your world. Is yeah, I know. Yeah, no. Well, no, we need to say something that at least the AI will be able to say that doesn't make us sound like we're swearing. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, uh, influence. No, uh, uh, affluence. No, not nope. no, affluenza is a totally different, different thing. thing. We don't want to get into that. It's a there. different topic. Yeah, totally. You know what? Someone had said um, about um, smell. We were talking about memory and, and that sort of stuff. It says certain smells make me remember many, many things. A number of people talking about Smell. That yeah. is such a powerful thing, isn't it? Well, there's a couple of things that are really cool when it comes to smell. The first one is that 
It's very difficult to have distractions when it comes to smell because you're always detecting one particular type of smell. And the reason for that is inside your nose and, and sort of those olfactory bulbs, every sort of protein will detect a different kind of smell. And so those then work together to create a, com a combination that then goes to your brain. But you can only make combinations one at a time. And as a result of that, you only really can pick up one smell at a time. Hmm. So if you're hit with a potpourri, okay, you may have, you know, clove, cinnamon, uh, uh, anise, or something mm -hmm. along those lines. Everybody's going to pick up a different smell. Really? And then what's really cool is that if you break all of those down into their individual chemical components, which usually are very long and difficult to say, uh, what will happen is that those people are picking up one particular chemical and that's why it's so amazing, because when that happens, it really helps to develop these vivid memories. So when it comes to Christmas, and that's why we did the smells of Christmas, mm. you'll smell something and you'll be like, oh my God, it's Christmas. Or you go into a tobacconist mm -hmm. and you smell this tobacco smell and you're like, oh my goodness, that's my grandfather's tobacco. Yeah. And, and so that's really where memory and smell is so much stronger than our ears and our eyes. Is smell strong for everybody or is it, you know, some people might have... I guess it depends on how well your nose is working too, right? Depending yeah. on what's going on there. Well, I mean, obviously, if you have issues with your olfactory nerves and that type of thing, then yeah, you are going to have problems with smelling. But for the majority of people, um, you start to learn how to equate smells basically from birth mm -hmm. all the way up. Because babies can smell their mothers like within the first few weeks, yeah. and then they will always recognize that smell. When you go back to memories, and we're almost out of time here, but when you go back to the, the top of memories, and, and there was something I think debunked uh, not too long ago, ago about when we actually remember our first memories. And some people I will say, oh, no, I remember being six-month-old and in, in my crib, and others like, no, it was two or three. Yeah. Do, do, do we have a firmer grasp on you know our first memories when that ha when that might be legit real? Yeah, it's it's so far based on the research. It looks like it's about three years of age, yeah. and the reason for that is there there is this development that is occurring, and as a result of that, it's very difficult to create uh, meaningful connections, if you will, uh, to be able to develop those memories. Now, this is still an ongoing thing, and how they're figuring this out is still a little bit outside of my scope. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is that in order for good memories to happen, you have to have sort of everything firing off at the same time in a certain way. So I think about three to four, yeah. probably, because I do remember being sick when I was four. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm a microbiologist. <laughs> so there you go, folks. But when it comes to earlier than that... I don't know. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. It may be the case. It may be. But I mean, I can't really say one way or the other. Jason, the germ guy, Tetro, joining me in studio this afternoon again, the host of the Super Awesome Science Show. You can get that podcast anywhere you like to get your podcast. It just won a big award as well. Jason, thank you for coming on the show. Will you come back? Oh, of course. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much.